Welcome to the Bowhawks Podcast, where today we're going to talk about the Super Bowl, the aftermath on Twitter, and Jonathan Gannon's fraudulent defense? So today we'll be talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and Philadelphia Eagles. Jack and Drew, what was you guys' first reaction to this one? I thought the game went exactly how I thought it was going to go. I said 40-31 to 31 on my original score prediction. Everyone's talking about the Eagles defense, and I was like, okay, yeah, the Eagles defense is good. First off, they're playing at Patrick Mahomes, and second off, I wasn't a huge fan of how they were being run in the first place. But it's also just Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs weren't going to not score in the Super Bowl. Like, that's just not what happens. Even against Tampa Bay, they were playing really well. They just, like, dropped everything. But the scheme was working. Mahomes was working. And they put up, what, 34 on us in 2019, and we were the number one defense in the league that year. This is number one defense in the league this year. Patrick Mahomes doesn't care about playing number one defenses. He normally does better against number one defenses. Um, I have to give Jack credit. He predicted a high-scoring game. I... Thought originally that the game was going to kind of start off slow. Um, that did not happen. But eventually the game kind of figured itself out where the Eagles have to give, I feel like we all have to give Jalen Hurts credit. That boy balled out. He balled out. He balled out. Uh, he showed up. Other than the fumble, you know, he made his, you know, mistake, his mistakes. But as a team, and especially in the first half, the Eagles looked like a team that were going to potentially run away with this game. But, you know, when you have Patrick Mahomes on the other side, number one defense or not, even though it's a Jonathan Gannon-led defense, um, Patrick Mahomes balled out MVP. And uh, like I mentioned last podcast, he is now – this is not his league. Like, there's no Tom Brady. He already has a Hall of Fame resume. Jack would argue that he was probably already the greatest of all time before this. Um, so, so I'm starting to so, I'm starting to hop on. Yeah, and I'm and I'm kind of there. Like I'm yeah. I'm there. His resume is absolutely insane. I'll let Jack uh, talk about that a little bit more about Mahomes. Yeah. So obviously, I had the experience of being part of the, the fan base that lost the first time to Mahomes, and it's I say this a lot, just in you know, generally speaking, that I don't know how AFC West fans do it. Like. And I'm sure this was the same for AFC East fans during Brady's reign, but even I feel like that was like a lot of the time those AFC East teams were just bad. Right. It wasn't like they were trying to compete with Brady even that much. They were kind of just like, you know what, we're just going to wait till Brady's gone. Maybe we'll have a couple good years here and there. But the Dolphins, Jets, and Bills maybe had a combined like four good years during Brady's time when he was really dominant with New England. And when Buffalo finally kind of started to figure it out, you know, things would get a little interesting. The Jets were good a couple of years, but generally those teams weren't really trying to compete. There was never a rivalry in the division. The Chiefs have had the Broncos try to compete with them, and the Broncos have utterly failed. They've had the Raiders try to compete with them by getting all these guys and bringing them out to Adam, and they've utterly failed. They, the Chargers have brought in so many players and so many other, like defensive players, coaches. They've like, gone through two coaches. They have Justin Herbert, who was one of the best quarterbacks in football, and they still can't compete. They're always going to lose on a Travis Kelsey game when he touchdown or something like that. <laughs> it's impossible. I don't know how AFC West fans can handle playing Patrick Mahomes twice a year. I've, my team has had to play against him three times ever, and it's just the worst. I hate it so much. He's so good, and I just can't imagine that it was like that against Brady for some of those AFC West, uh, AFC East fans to that extent. It's and, crazy. I, and I think, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I agree with him, and it's also the way that they win these games. I feel like in the AFC East, Brady was good. Like, Brady was that guy in New England, but that team, usually the teams around Brady were very good. Usually they had a really good defense, and they ran the ball, and their style of play was just dominating teams but with Mahomes sometimes these games are close sometimes these AFC West matchups are good games but 
Mahomes is always going to win. Like, they're always going to find a way to win the game. And it has to be frustrating because through three quarters in some of those games, you say, oh, this might be the time we finally beat the Chiefs. We finally beat Patrick Mahomes. And then something happens where that the result just always ends up in a Chiefs W. And the only way, in my opinion, that a team will ever be able to really compete is if they the Raiders or one of these teams suck really bad to where they get maybe a Caleb Williams in next year's draft. Like, that's what it's going to have to take. I mean, you see the, the Chargers kind of lucked up and got Justin Herbert. They I still still, they still can't win. So, mm-hmm. honestly, if you're an AFC West fan, you just are going to have to, unfortunately, hope for something bad to happen. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to uh, get really injured, which for whatever reason, whenever it seems like he's really injured, he's, he's, got, that dog he's got that dog in him to the point where he's always coming back and always not really out too long. So, yeah, I'd hate to be an AFC West fan. And i got to give credit to Roger Goodell. This is one of the best Super Bowls I've seen in a while. And the script that the NFL had for this was just, it was amazing. It was shots back and forth. You know, there was a lot of offense. It was all you can hope for in a Super Bowl. There was a combined four punts the entire game. It just seemed like there was fireworks everywhere. And, you know, they gave the script to Kansas City and Mahomes, and they're a second-half team. They did what they did. Like, the Eagles had a 10-point lead, and you got to keep your foot in the gas, and they just couldn't seem to do that. I think Patrick Mahomes came out in the second half, and he had three touchdown drives in a row. And, yeah, you're just not going to win against the Chiefs if, if you can't keep your foot on the gas. And I think the Eagles, they really looked good for most of the game up until end of the third quarter-ish uh, in the fourth quarter when things kind of fell apart. That's how it goes against the Chiefs a lot of the time. But the, the crazy thing for me about Patrick Mahomes, no quarterback had ever won a Super Bowl this, before this year with a cap hit of, that was higher than 12.5% of their team's money. Patrick Mahomes was around 17%. That's ridiculous. This was really, like, this was completely the Eagles' window because they had probably a top-five quarterback in football on a cheap deal with an insane roster around him. And now they're going to have to start paying Jalen Hurts the money that Mahomes is making. It's going to be a lot harder to build a roster around him. And the Chiefs obviously have that problem, too. They had to lose players. Their roster around Mahomes isn't nearly as good as it was when Mahomes was younger. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't care. He's still going to go out and win you football games. And you have to give credit to the Chiefs because, like you said, we all saw this roster, uh, especially offensively. It was just an assortment of different weapons. Like, you had Isaiah Pacheco. You, you signed Juju Smith-Schuster, you signed um, Marquez Valdez-Scantley, and you're like, okay, this offense, it's going to be interesting, but you know that they have Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes has ascended to a level where it really doesn't matter what you put him around. Like, you're going to start to see conversations where it's like a lot of uh, the, the weapons around him is going to be similar to what Aaron Rodgers had a lot in Green Bay before he got Devontae Adams. And even when he had Devontae Adams, when Devontae Adams was still a young player, he wasn't really the player he was. You always heard people complain, well, Rodgers doesn't have any weapons. Rodgers doesn't have any weapons. And it doesn't matter because in the regular season, it didn't matter what Rodgers had. He still delivered. And that's going to be the same thing with Patrick Mahomes, but more so he does it in the biggest games. He just is a talent to where he ascends the players around him. It doesn't matter what you put around him. If they're players that can get open, and sometimes they don't even have to be open, Patrick Mahomes is going to get them open. Mm -hmm. And as a fan of the Chiefs, you're just spoiled. Enjoy it. You're lucky, okay? You know. You got a dynasty. You you probably have a dynasty on your hands. And um, Jack would love to have a 
a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Unfortunately, the Niners never had, had the Niners never had, had that chance. A so. quarterback in general that stays healthy. Yeah, so. just stays on the field. The Niners definitely never had a chance to get Mahomes, so we're not even going to talk about it, okay? And i got to give credit to Jalen Hurts. I wasn't really in his corner last week from his play against the Giants and 49ers because, in my opinion, he didn't show me a whole lot. But I could argue from this game that he actually played better than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he had, like, three touchdowns on the ground, over 300 yards through the air, passing touchdown. You could make the argument that if the Eagles, like, he obviously would have been MVP if the Eagles won, but I can make the argument that he's MVP regardless. regardless. I agree. Uh, Jalen Hurts balled out to the point where if, let's say, Patrick Mahomes, for whatever reason, wasn't the quarterback on the other sideline, Jalen Hurts probably wins. If it was literally anybody else, else on the other side, if it was, like, Dale. Literally anybody else. Yeah, somebody that's not Patrick Mahomes. He probably wins. I, I may be missing here, but that's how well he played. And specifically in the first half, it, the Eagles as a whole seemed like their game plan, whatever they came in those first two weeks and said, this is what we want to do against this team, they did it pretty well. But I, I don't know, guys. I don't know about you, but the second half, I feel like Andy Reid just coached circles around Nick Sirianni. Bro. So... The main thing for me is I don't even think he coached circles around Nick Sirianni, but I think he coached circles around Jonathan Gannon. Yeah, and absolutely. There's a lot more to talk about on Gannon because he's not a head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. But I'm I'm not a believer. Yeah, I'm not either simply because it's easy to coordinate a defense with that level of talent on all three levels. Right. And I have to give him credit. Um, for, cer- for certain stretches of the season, it was a very dominant defense. In, in certain areas, but there are always deficiencies with that team, and it showed in the Super Bowl. And granted, it is Patrick Mahomes, but their game plan in the first half was a good game plan. But as we know, in the second half, there's not really a better coach in Andy Reid with second-half adjustments, um, specifically on the offensive side of the football, because they decided in the second half, okay, we're going to run the football. And we said Isaiah Pacheco might become a player that is important, and he had a bunch of a few drives where he was the focal point in helping that offense move down the field to where they could set up plays and score points. Like you mentioned, they had three scoring drives in a row, and Isaiah Pacheco was a part of those. And talking about adjustments, Drew, let's talk about the fact that the Kansas City O-line didn't give up a single sack against J.J. Redick, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox. J.J. Redick, Hassan Redick. Yeah, sorry, Hassan Redick, Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave. Yeah. And the rest of that Eagles D-line, that's insane. Like, let's yeah. talk about that. For 70 a sacks in the regular season. I mean, they were all over the, the, the entire Niners D- or O-line. I mean, they're the main reason that they ended up winning that game in other, plenty of other ways, too. But nowhere. And you can, you can say, you know, one of the big reasons that was also a thing is because of the field conditions. If, if there's anybody that was nullified that equalized by that, it was the D-line. But they also were just really well blocked. And it happened kind of against us in the Super Bowl, too, where we had, you know, that insane pass rush. Not to this level, even, but we had Nick Bosa, we had D4, we had DeForest Buckner, we had Ari Armstead. That was a great D-line, probably the best one the Niners have had since they've been good again. And they didn't really do that much in that game either. Yeah, and I feel like it was the ability, whether, like you said, it was the turf conditions or the adjustments that the O-line had from film or whatever they did, but it was their ability to be able to block the Eagles' D-line that, in my opinion, won them the game. Because it didn't look like Patrick, Patrick Mahomes had any pressure on him for 
any plays. Even when he was rolling out, the backside tight end or whatever had had the block. So and, and when you have in a performance that that one has in the biggest game for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, it makes it so much easier because that's one less very important factor that you have to work worry about. I say this, I've always said this, if you have a very effective pass rush, you can affect any quarterback. It doesn't matter how good they are. I mean, there's a reason why in Tom Brady's uh, biggest failures as a player, if you have a dominant pass rush, specifically through the interior, you could beat Tom Brady. And uh, if the Eagles were going to win this game and they were going to make Patrick Mahomes have a game where he wasn't Patrick Mahomes, it was dependent on that D-line. And the fact that the Chiefs online held up for all 60 minutes of game time without really getting Patrick Mahomes in any trouble, that makes the game so much easier for a player who doesn't really need that many advantages. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I have a Jonathan Gannon rant I need to get to. All right, why don't we start Why don't that? you go ahead and do that, bro? I've been thinking about it for a while, right? Let's just, the Eagles defense was really good this year, right? Great defense, number one in the league. But they had two very clear deficiencies, and they were they were deficiencies the entire year. It was against the run, which is, you know, that that's sometimes one of those things that happens in every great pass rush is you're not as good at defending the run. That one I don't really care that much about. But the one I don't like is the motion problem. They, they struggled with motion all year long, and it was completely apparent in the Super Bowl because when one player would go in motion, they would completely change their entire defense. They'd have one safety running from the top of the field all the way down the other side, and the corner that was originally on the guy going all the way up to the safety spot. That's how they got the first touchdown. Yep. Travis Kelsey. That's how they got two of them. Yeah, well, yeah for sure. I'm just talking about the first one because I remember it. Travis Kelsey motioned down, came up about a couple yards, and then did that little wheel corner out. Yep. Wide open. And then there were the two with Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore each go to the exact same thing where they start in motion and go back the other way. And as they're going back the other way, CJ Gardner Johnson is running to the right. Darius Slay is running all the way up to play safety because they think this guy's going in motion and all of a sudden he's going this way. They have no clue. And, and, it, and it happened twice. It can't happen twice. And it happened against Jacksonville. And it was such an easy thing to scheme up that any offensive mind that's good, like Doug Peterson or Andy Reid, could do it. And then now you look at the fact that, okay, he's the Arizona Cardinals head coach. That defense is nowhere close to as talented as what Philly had this year. They, they have Buda Baker, who's great, and he's going to be, like, obviously the captain of that. Shout out Buda Baker, bro. He's but really great. He's you, have, really you have a guy that really struggled to stop motion with the defense because he overcompensated so horribly. Going into the same division as Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. It's, I just, I, I really, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, um, that... One mistake, okay, but if it's a theme that happens to a defense or any side of the football multiple times, it's on the, it's on the coach. How do you not see that happen the first time and not correct it? And I was on TikTok, you know, doing what everybody does, scrolling. I saw Darius Slay. Darius Slay talked about it. He said, credit Andy Reid and the Chiefs and because they knew they got exposed they got exposed and like jack mentioned it happened in the jacksonville game darius slay mentioned the chiefs watch film they saw it worked in the jacksonville game and they said okay we have better playmakers than the, than the jaguars do because the jaguars did it with jamal agnew who shot jamal agnew was a decent player but he's no travis kelsey i mean so the chiefs were like look we're gonna use our weapons and we're just gonna do something that they seem like they can't adjust to and if it's broke, if it broke, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And the Chiefs are already so good with motion, just in the red zone anyway. They, I mean, they do so much, so much movement 
anywhere on the field, but especially in the red zone, no matter who they're playing. But when you're playing a team like the Eagles that had so many problems with motion because they would overcompensate so terribly, like getting fooled. It was that's what it was. They were getting fooled by play action and motion consistently. And if the Niners had been healthy, that was what their plan was to do. But they obviously those circumstances didn't work out. And who may, who knows? Maybe they win, maybe they don't. But that was that was what they were going to try to do. Obviously, the circumstances didn't work out, so the Chiefs did it instead. And Brandon Ayuk was on plenty of like Instagram live and all that, talking about we think the Chiefs are going to be able to do what we want to do, and that's exactly what happened. And a lot of the Niners players got backlash for how much they were talking, which like yeah, it was kind of weird. I agree. It was a lot of like, okay, we get it. You're a little salty. Things didn't go the right way. Okay, we get it. I don't know why Robbie Gold was like talking down on Jalen Hurts. There was no reason for that. But I didn't even know that. I didn't know that either. But gen- either way, but generally the kicker in any circumstance shouldn't be talking about anyway. Yeah, Robbie Robbie Gold's got. I think a lot of media history. people realize that he got a lot of quotes out of Niners players because they were mad about that last week. Uh, but either way, it's got a history of kicking at the start of warm up in front of the other player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm generally I'm not a fan of. DCs being hired as coaches unless they are really, really good DCs. Like, I think D'Amico Ryans was a fine hire because D'Amico Ryans, whenever there was a deficiency within the Niners' defense, it wouldn't last very long. It would get fixed. And then something else would come up most of the time. The only thing I can really think of that I think was a problem throughout D'Amico's tenure was that there were some third and longs that felt like they would happen way too much. That's really about it. And I agree with you, Jack. I feel the way that the game is now an offensive coordinator is the far better bet than a defensive coordinator. Just with the high-powered offense and the way that the game has changed, you know, with the West like West, West Coast, Coast being brought in. RPL and it's all, offense. yeah, it's all, it's, it's completely changed the complexion of the game. It's I, not, it's not defensive battles anymore where it's like one, like two possession games. Everyone just hangs it out and they go ball. And I think the defensive coach will do a really good job of getting you eight to nine wins. I think the offensive coach will make you a contender. Yeah, and it's a copycat league. And I think Sean McVay kind of really changed the way front office people and owners around the league view the hiring process. Nine times out of ten, a young offensive mind who has either helped mold or develop a young quarterback to be have any type of success is going to have priority over a defensive-minded uh, coordinator who may have been successful in his own right. But nine times out of ten, it is what it is. The, the offensive mind is going to get the job. Now, I'll say this. It's not always right. It's not always right because you can look right here in Arizona where they hired a guy, Cliff Kingsbury, who was at Texas Tech, who got a good credit. He recruited Patrick Mahomes, and he turned Patrick Mahomes into a top quarterback prospect who was a first-round pick. But even with Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, I believe Cliff Kingsbury's record was below 500 as a college football head coach. So you know what Michael Bidwell said? He said, you know what? We're going to bring him over here. He said in an interview when he was at Texas Tech that if he could start, if he could be a coach, he'd have Colin Murray as his quarterback. He got Colin Murray as his quarterback. They had one year where they had success, but it was clear that Cliff Kingsbury should have never been a head coach at really any level above college football. So that's just one example that hiring the young offensive mind, it's it's sexier. It's going to get fans excited. It's going to, you know, sell the tickets, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes you should settle for that D'Amico Ryans. Or in rare cases, you have a guy, and this is going a little far back, but you have a guy like John Harbaugh who was a special teams coordinator. Sometimes that's the route you could go. But hiring the young offensive mind, it can work. 
for the Giants it worked, and I'm happy about that. But you kind of have to wait and see because not all these guys are on the same level. Some guys can, like Pat Shermer, they can call an offense, but they just can't be a head coach. Well, they that, can call that's plays, the big thing for they me. They can't be a head coach. That, I mean, there are plenty of defensive coordinators that are terrible head coaches. Like Fangio is a great example. Great defensive coordinator who has one of the best defensive schemes in the NFL Ever. over the last decade. Ever. History. And not the guy can't, can't, he can't, he can't be a head coach. D'Amico Ryan might be the same way. Hey, and and uh, Todd Bowles is the same way. Tom Bowles with the Jets never really showed the ability to handle and coach and lead a team. Some guys can't do that. But Todd Bowles can coach a defense. Mm-hmm. And Todd Bowles deserved the second chance. He did. Day, and he got it, and he didn't do a great job with it. It's, it's still there. It is what it is. I want to say it's different responsibilities. Yes. As a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator or special teams coordinator, your sole objective is to worry about your single unit. That's all you have to worry about. And, and the thing is, with it's head, less pressure. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say the thing is, as a head coach, you know, you have all the eyes on you. Uh, you're watching all the units. You have to get everyone ready. You know, it takes a certain type of person with leadership and whatnot, and not everyone has it, like you were saying, Drew. So, to come in for certain guys, it just doesn't work out. And that's why I love Brian Dayball's attitude. I personally, when we hired Dayball, I wanted him to call plays. Because I know, okay, this guy is one of the best play callers in the league. So it would make sense for him to come in here with Daniel Jones. And let's I'll say this, Dayball had a lot of influence on what we called. But he wasn't the primary play caller. It was Mike Kafka. And I like the fact that he he also didn't hire a guy from Buffalo. He hired a guy he was never really familiar with in Mike Kafka in Kansas City. And so I think... That's what teams should do, honestly. There's always going to be a debate whether a head coach who is a coordinator should call plays. I don't know what's your guys' opinion on that. If it's a guy that I know can handle the play-calling responsibilities and be a head coach like a Kyle Shanahan, then do it. But I feel like, head coach, your priority is the team. You hire coordinators who you trust to be able to coordinate their side of the football, and then you roll out what you roll out. What do you? I want to know your guys' opinion on See, head coaches calling plays with their coordinators. I think that if I'm in that situation and I'm giving someone the keys, I gotta have I gotta be really convinced that they can call plays. The Cardinals giving Cliff Kingsbury play calling is ridiculous. The Niners giving it to Kyle Shanahan was like okay that makes sense. He just you know took the Falcons and the Matt Ryan was the MVP. That was one of the best offenses we've seen in a while. That made sense. If the Giants had let Dable, or if he'd he wanted, would probably have been okay. Either way, if Dable had been the play card, I'm like, yeah, that's that's cool. It's Brian Dable. He, you know, he's the guy that's helped Josh Allen so much, and the offense has been really good there. And it's not like they've had that, that insane amount of talent. It's really just Stephon Diggs around there. But there are definitely guys that are hired. Another kid, like and Cliff Kingsbury is the best example. I don't necessarily know if you should give him the keys to everything day one. And that's kind of my problem. I think right now is that NFL teams are too quick to give coaches way too much power, and mm-hmm. then. And then also, stop making coaches GMs, just just generally. Stop doing it. I want to add to that. Uh, I think that you're right, Jack. In my opinion, I feel the best way to do it is during the preseason. You get, if you want the head coach to make some of the play calls, you do it during the preseason. You can see how it works out, see if the concepts look right, if they're really working. And then if they do... You can maybe continue that into the regular season. But if it blows up in your face, then you get just give it back to the offensive coordinator. And I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I feel like you experiment during the four or five games of the mm-hmm. preseason, see how it works. Yes, you're going against not starters, but you can see kind of the concepts of the plays. 
and the design to see if they're good plays or if they work for your offense. And if they do, then you can implement them. If they don't, then you just give the responsibility back to the offensive coordinator. And I also want to say that, you know, you can also, during the games, if it's a third down, you know, hey, do you like this call, whatnot, but, like, first and second down, just kind of let them do their thing for the most part. And as a Giants fan, I have, I've always had a, a feeling about head coaches calling plays because we had Pat Shermer, who in 2019, which was his last year, we brought in Daniel Jones. And statistically speaking, if you go look at Daniel Jones's number his rookie year, he hasn't put he hadn't put up those touchdown numbers and those yards numbers since. Now a lot of that probably has to do with I always believe that Pat Shermer, he's a decent play caller. He is a defense of he is a decent offensive mind. But the guy was not a leader. I think that's the most important thing when you're looking for a head coach. D'Amico Ryans, I'm on TikTok. In his introductory press conference, he's shaking guys' hands. He's saying what's up to guys. He said, are you ready? He's a guy that I know, if I'm a fan of the Texans, he's going to be a leader of men. And I think that's the most important thing because you have these guys who are solely focused on when they're coordinators calling one side of the ball, dealing with one section of players. When you're a head coach, you have to deal with 53 men. And that's why I think Steve Oak should have gotten the Carolina job because Frank Reich... Good offensive mind, but clearly couldn't really do the developing quarterback type thing that he was trying to do in Indianapolis, and that wasn't completely his fault. It's not, you know, make well, I, I'll say this about Frank White: his fault was that he put his neck on line for Carson Wentz. I think that's what got him fired. Yeah, that was also bad. But like, my thing is, what's the difference quarterback-wise between Carolina and Indianapolis? They're really similar because they're in the same spot where they both they have both good suck. rosters. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have good rosters around both of them. Uh, Carolina's is probably a little better than the Colts was maybe two years ago, I would say. But no quarterback. You have a couple of, you know, you know there's the Sam Darnold, which, hey, do you want to try and... It's the same thing as bringing in Carson Wentz or bringing in Matt Ryan. I mean, yeah, they're older, but still. it's gonna. I feel like they're going to just be in the exact same spot as the Colts were, where I felt like this team rallied behind Steve Wilkes. And, yeah, he's a defensive coach. I'm not a fan of, like, defensive coaches as head coaches, but he was doing a good job. They were and, about 500 with and, him, and they and knew most the importantly, it looked like Steve Wilkes had that locker room's attention. He was clear. The players wanted Wilkes. They wanted Wilkes. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's the right route to go to. Sometimes you have an interim coach who's already on staff who is well-liked by the players, and players like, okay, this guy's a leader. You could tell Steve Wilkes, that situation was really bad. Really, really bad with Matt Rule. That guy, another example of a guy who just seemed like he could not lead a team. And was given too much power. And was given way too much power and way too much money. I, Matt Rule is going to make Carolina Panthers money for the next six, seven years. And I don't get why the Panthers looked at Steve Wilkes. And I feel like the franchise as a whole was starting to get some respect. They're like, this Steve Wilkes seems like he knows what he's doing. See, he learned from his mistakes in Arizona, which we see there's been two instances where it just hasn't worked. It's, at some point, it might not be the head coach, okay? For whatever reason, Michael Bidwell let Steve Kime, in my opinion, stay there way too long. And I feel like that was a factor as well. So sometimes you don't go with the sexy candidate, in my opinion. Sometimes you just go with the guy that you know can galvanize a team and be a leader of men. And that's, that's how I've always felt. Talking about rosters, I just want to switch back to the Super Bowl. Uh, you look at both the rosters, and you got studs all over the field. Mm -hmm. But let's not forget, in my opinion, if both of these guys stay healthy, you're looking at the greatest tight end and quarterback to ever play the game. 
In my opinion, yeah. if they stay healthy, I, I think you have an argument. I don't think, I don't think it's really an argument. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I don't really, I remember, I don't know if it was this year at some point or last year, people were starting to question if Travis Kelsey was slowing down. <laughs> no. No. What? Yes. Maybe like, I never heard maybe of his 40-yard his, uh, his dash went down a little bit. You know, but that, slowing down. I've never seen a player at the tight end position. I know you guys agree with me. Sometimes it doesn't seem like the routes that Travis Kelsey runs, he should be able to get open. No. But nobody has been able to figure it out. There's no line. There's no linebacker on the planet that can check Travis Kelsey, and there's really not a lot of cornerbacks who can check Travis Kelsey. He is legit the number one option on the Chiefs, and he's cemented himself as that. And I don't really see that duo slowing down. And they are at a point where they're probably going to surpass Brady and Gronk as the best quarterback tight end duo. Yeah, the only and thing that's, that's stopping them is Travis Kelsey being 34. Exactly. And it doesn't really seem like that guy is slowing down anytime soon. No. And now, unfortunately, there could be injury. You just never know. And we can knock and You don't ever want to see that happen. But that's the only way, in my opinion, that that duo doesn't surpass them in every statistical category, including playoffs. And like, Travis Kelsey is probably going to lead tight ends ever. Oh, if he's he done oh, already. He's close. No, no, there, there's like a, there's I think a graphic. They're going to end up leading just everybody. Everybody in general. No, yeah, there's a graphic. I think I think when he scored, um, like, the first one, they said that he was third, I believe. All time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And playoff touchdowns. So I think I, – I can't remember the first two players. I feel like one of them was maybe – not Gronk. I can't, I can't remember. But <laughs> I yeah. think Gronk was on that list. Yeah, um, but I can't remember. But yeah, he was like third. So going going back to your point, it's just crazy to think that you look at all the film and there's, like you said, there's just no way to stop them. They run some of the same plays, the same concepts. It's not rocket science. But and he still gets open and does his thing. And, and that's the cheese attitude. They're not going to switch it up if nobody has proven the last, what, four stop or five it. years that they can stop it. Yeah. And you're telling me they can't. Tyreek Hill was definitely a factor in that. When you have a guy like that on the same field as Travis Kelsey, that definitely takes away some of the pressure off Travis Kelsey. But this year he proved that it doesn't matter what's around him. He's still that guy. And Patrick Mahomes is solely in possession of the best quarterback in the NFL, and I don't really ever see him relinquish that. No. I don't relinquish any of your tires. <laughs> um, He'll let somebody else have the yeah, throne if, if he wants to. Right. And, he's, and you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's just 27. Dude, and it's five AFC championships in a row. That's ridiculous. Imagine if you're a Chiefs fan. Like, I, you got to be loving I, life right now. Like, it's crazy. Just imagine if our teams had talents like Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. You wouldn't be able to talk to us. We would be talking so much. And as Chiefs fans, Chiefs fans have always been some of the loyalists before those guys came in. So they definitely are a fan base deserving of talents like that. But just there's no way this stops. And there were rumors that Andy Reid might retire. That's not happening. Airbnb has gone on to another job though, but he was never calling plays. He he had input. I won't say Eric Bieniemy didn't have input. Eric Bieniemy is. I do wonder if Andy had retired if the job was Bieniemy's. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to ponder because now it's probably not. But I saw uh, Albert Breer, a guy who I uh, follow, who's he's, he's respected. Um, he said that Matt Nagy is going to become the offensive coordinator, and Ooh. he might be the heir to the throne there in Kansas City. Please, no. Which that <laughs> Please, yes. Please, no. Please, yes. Let's slow them down. Because Matt Nagy, I, don't know. I, I feel like Matt I Nagy is another example out. of what we said, a guy who 
he could call plays, but he's not head coach. You know, material. Jack, I'm I'm willing. I'm willing to see things play out. I I don't. So mind. you would I, like to see Matt Nagy as head coach? No, no, no. Like I would love to see Matt Nagy as the Chiefs head coach. I would. I would just say no. That's I, different. I don't like. I don't. I don't, I I don't want to see him as because the if Chiefs Patrick, head coach. because if Patrick Mahomes with Matt Nagy as his head coach is still the same player, better. No, no, he's no. he's him. He's already him. Like I, don't, he would, I don't mind that playing the Chiefs. That would further submit his GOAT status. I don't mind playing the Chiefs every four years and getting whooped 20 by I mean, seeing them once think, in the let's playoffs. Say, let's say the Seahawks are really good next year and then go to the Super Bowl. Right. Would you rather have you go to Andy Reid or Matt Nagy? I feel like Matt Nagy, Obviously, there's more Matt margin Nagy. for error Exactly. Yeah, let's get Matt Nagy as the coach of the Chiefs. Yeah, there's more margin for error there for sure. Yeah. That would be fun. I want that to happen now. <laughs> I've talked myself into that. What, what do y'all think? They're gonna hire like Bobby Slug. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think. He and I mean, I guess, I guess with um, me bringing up Eric Bieniemy, we can maybe touch on that hire for the Commanders. What are you? It's crazy. That as soon as Dan Snyder is leaving, they hire someone that's respected around the league. And it looks like he's gonna have full like on autonomy on. He on better the, on that offense. He better. They better not let Ron Rivera have any control. He Ron Rivera. See, I gotta give Ron Rivera credit because he's like, you know what? <laughs> let me go get that guy because now I don't have to touch the offensive side of the ball, which he should never. Like Ron Rivera is a defensive mind head coach to the core. I don't even want Ron touch the defense. Yeah, uh, and Jack Del. I'm pretty sure Jack Del Rio is not, Del Rio is not calling any defense anymore, right? Right. Now. I don't know. I don't. The Commanders are. That's a squad that I have mess. not really thought about since like the last <laughs> last week of the season. Look, Ron Rivera didn't know they had a chance of being eliminated in Week 17. I'm not a big Ron Rivera fan. That was hilarious. That was so that, funny. That, I, I, would, just, I wouldn't be that shocked if the enemy ends up being the next head coach there. That would make so much sense. And, and let me let me let me let me get this out here. So I'm one of the first people to say this. Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell are going to be the new duo of the NFL. I look, look. I like Sam Howell. I've always liked Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell has a chance to be. He's going to start. Looks like he's going to be the quarterback there. And I think you know what? This is my bold take. That'll be the greatest eight and nine you've ever. Sam seen. Howell will not be replaced by Taylor Heineke in the middle of the season. Taylor yeah, Hackey's free agent, so we don't. There, I mean, there's a chance Taylor Hackey's not. He's there. not even there. Look, there's a very good chance you're right. Just based off that. <laughs> um, Let's put but if they so, if they decide to bring him back, that guy has always replaced what, bro. Carson Woods is still there. I don't. What is going on? I just thought about that. The Commanders. We can do our own podcast, a whole episode of the Commanders offseason. We could just say the commanders are bad and dysfunctional, and that's our five-second podcast. Leave it at that. Okay. All right. Well, is that well maybe maybe things can turn around for Washington now that Dan Snyder is leaving. Eric Bieniemy being hired is already that's a good step. Yeah, that's, that's a great start. But I mean, there's a lot of ways to go because no matter who your coach is, you need to have a quarterback. So unless Sam Howell is the answer, they still have a quarterback. They're not going to. But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be fitting that that's? It wouldn't be fitting that anybody's their answer because they're the commanders. But but if there's a quarterback, because obviously, uh, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. That's the last quarterback they took first round. That didn't work out. They went Taylor Heineke. They went uh, they Carson Wentz. Uh, Alex Smith was the last guy to really bring that some stability to that position, and he unfortunately had that freak injury. RG3. And he still came back. RG three come back. RG three. Yeah. That come I back think from the case scenario for like Sam Howell is that he just becomes like Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Which would be cool. Like, you know, to have that insane magic where you're going to somehow, you know, you're going to play it terribly for the first three and a half quarters. But, hey, you know what? Find a way to when keep I need a touchdown drive and we're somehow only down eight, I'm going to get that touchdown. I'm going to maybe get that two-point conversion. And one thing I wanted to 
kind of switch topics. I didn't want to leave it out because I just remembered. How do we all feel about uh, the way the Super Bowl ended on that last drive? We got to talk ball. about it. I loved it. <laughs> because this is why I loved it. I could not, and I told you guys this while watching the Super Bowl, I could not deal with the Eagles winning another Super Bowl and their fans on social media for weeks on end. Fly, Eagles, fly. I was scared for my city. Either way, I was scared for my city. You should have been because there is no better way for a fan base to eat a loss quite like that one. And there's no fan base more deserved than the Eagles fan base, in my opinion. For that game to end, I was talking. I have a friend um, back home that I went to high school with. And immediately after it happened, I texted her, like, how did you feel? And she was saying all types of crazy things. Uh, uh, Wishing injury on certain star players for the Chiefs (laughs) that we won't, you know, wish upon. And that's just how that fan base is. Uh, And, look, the call was the call. James Bradbury came out. And I'll give James Bradbury credit because he didn't have to do this. He could have complained just like every other Eagles fan. And there were a lot of NFL fans in general complaining about it. Um, but James Bradbury came out and said, look, I, I tugged on the jersey a little bit, and I was hoping that they didn't call it. So after he said that, that, that was how I felt about it. Yeah, I felt as well. It was surprising because he could have just said no comment, left it yeah. at that, or he kind of dropped things. Or he could have been like, look, that shouldn't have, that wasn't, he could have been the, the usual. Yeah, yeah, he could have complained, but he took accountability for it. Right. If he does complain, he loses sixteen thousand dollars or something like that. Yeah, so, that's anyway. just true. Smart man, James Bradbury. James Bradbury protecting that bag. I want to yes. just add that I forget which podcast it was on TikTok, but they were breaking it down and they made the analogy that the final call with the holding on Bradbury, it's like you're speeding, right? It's like a fifty zone, mm-hmm. and you're on fifty five. That's Every, ev- Everyone else is speeding, right? But. You you get a ticket. You're gonna get a ticket. Yeah, yeah. everyone else is, but you're gonna get a ticket. So it's the right call, but it's and just and I'll say this timing. back to the ticket analogy. Not every cop is gonna pull you over for going five over, mm-hmm. but it only takes one. Yeah. And in that case, in that situation, the ref, there are probably a lot of refs in the league who probably don't call that, but for whatever reason, the ref saw enough to where he was like, okay, this is a point in the game where I'm I can't allow this to happen. I'm gonna throw the flag. Yeah, and it's technically... Whether it was ticky-tacky or not. It's looking at, like... It is what it is. It's looking at, like you said, you know, it's the right call, but it's the timing. It's like mm-hmm. the timing in sports. And I'll even, like, make the analogy in, like, hockey. You know, the last, like, minute to go, unless it's something egregious, they're probably not going to call a penalty with a minute to go to give the other team a power play. And in this case, give them a free first down. The thing that I really didn't like about it is like, it kind of goes back to that ticket analogy. It's like, yeah, that's one of those calls that sometimes they'll call, sometimes they won't because they're going five over. But the thing that I didn't appreciate was that that was the first defensive holding or P.I. call the entire game. That was kind of my bigger issue with it because, like, yeah, he held him, but you haven't called anything all day, literally nothing. And I'm sure there have been more plays like that. It's like okay, like we're really we're gonna we're gonna start throwing the flags now, right, right and now, it, and especially in a season where officiating has been um, such scrutinized by people and rightfully so. I feel like it always is, and it, it, it always yeah. is. But I feel like this year especially, it's really been and all across all sports, it's just been a topic of discussion. But like what Jack said, when you haven't really called it all game, and the game was s- such an entertaining game, game partly because the rest didn't really affected and sometimes you need games like that where you in the most important games you just let them play if you're gonna call the guy going 55 
you know, five times, right, that's exactly. six times, or nine yeah. times, that's ten, then that's one thing. But when you call a guy going 55, for, you're not, you don't care about the guy 55, and then, oh, this one guy, I'm this, gonna, yeah. this one nice car is going 55. I'm going to go ahead and stop He's got money. Yeah. Give me your ticket, pal. And it, that's a great way to put it. And it, it's unfortunate because it, it dampers a great game. This is one of the best Super, Bowl, Super Bowls, personally, I've seen in my life. And unfortunately, now after that play, I, I wanted the Eagles to lose, but of course, that's on your mind, like, what if they don't, you know, what if they don't call that? Then we're in a whole different other situation, and it's all about situational football. As soon as that happens, the game's over. And it's all and about getting a chance, because all yeah. I meant was that Jalen Hurst would have had a chance. Exactly. It's unfortunate for everyone else, but and it's, I feel it's like, fortunate I, for the Chiefs. Game yeah. bailed out back-to-back weeks by flags at the end of the game. Exactly. Like, Surely wow. they didn't hold Nick Bosa in the Super Bowl. No. No, they would never. And they would how, never about, how about Lane Johnson? Dude, what a player Johnson, that guy is. Dude, that's a, I mean, it's an incredible talent for the off. like that perfect time where the refs don't call it, but you're still like kind of getting off early, but like well, it's Lane, close enough. Like, eh. Lane Johnson spends like two hours of his training regimen in the off season timing up snap counts because for whatever reason, the refs or I don't know what it is, but he just it's a lot of dough that he gives. He he <laughs> times it up perfectly to the point where. It looks like it should be a flag every time. Every now and then it looks like it is a flag. It's just, they just don't call it because it's so. He does it so well. Yeah. To the point where it's like, okay, is he? Is he? Is he? Is yeah. He, I can't tell. Yeah. And most of the time he's not. But there yeah. are there are times where he does. And that's it. A yeah, that's, that's a talent. That's incredible. That's a talent. And I think the turning point in this game was actually at halftime when the Chiefs weren't allowed to watch the, <laughs> the halftime show. I think that was the turning point. They're all mad. They came out. None of them knew Rihanna was pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And they all um, did their thing. And. The man that we haven't mentioned yet that really turned this game for the Chiefs was Kadarius Tony. I think we have to talk about Kadarius Tony because uh, they don't win the Super Bowl without him. Um, obviously, he had that big reception and um, and for the touchdown, but that punt return yeah changed. It flipped the game. It flipped the momentum totally to Kansas. City. That was the craziest special teams play I've seen in, in the, the Super Bowl. Because yeah. usually. They lock it down pretty good. There's not a whole lot of big returns right. that happen, but that was one of the best plays I've seen on special teams. I even, I mean, he was what ten yards away from breaking it to the house. I thought he was going to take it to the house. It was just one of those, one of those plays. And, and that's what can, a talent like that can do for you. And you have to, as a Giants fan, I'm still happy we traded him because the guy wasn't playing for us. And for whatever reason, it just didn't seem like he was ever going to play for us. Hindsight is now that the Giants were always trying to trade him, so that's why they weren't letting him play. Because as soon as Kadarius Tony touches a football field, there's an 85% chance he's going to get hurt. It just is what it is. But for the Chiefs, trading a third-round pick that doesn't mean anything to them now, and trading it for a guy who helped you win the Super Bowl, it's a win. And uh, shout-out to Joe Shane because... He he let uh, James Bradbury go. He signs with the Eagles. He's a big reason why the uh, Chiefs won the Super Bowl. He traded Kadarius Tony to the Chiefs. Without Kadarius Tony being on the Chiefs, they don't win the Super Bowl. So Joe Shane <laughs> plays a big part in why the Eagles lost the Super Bowl. I'm just saying the facts are the facts. Facts are the facts. Shout out Joe Shane. That's my GM, baby. That's my GM. All right. Well, you got anything else? I think that wraps yeah, think up that wraps this week's episode. Okay, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.